Okay. Hey, everyone. I'm LB, marijuana addict. Thank you so much for asking me to speak. And I want to, I was actually scheduled to speak a couple weeks ago, and I was in the ER with this allergic reaction, and I called just a few hours before, maybe less than that, saying, I don't think I'm going to make it. Um, but my people-pleasing kicked in, so I didn't tell them that at 9 a.m. when I knew I was in trouble. But I really appreciate your flexibility and your kindness, and I'm really glad to be here on my very first MA phone meeting ever. Um, and I've been around just over 17 years, and September 20th was my 17th birthday, sober birthday. And I've been... Um, really deep in this program in service since the very beginning. And I would really um, pitch service as a great way to stay in, stay connected, and stay involved. Um, because for me, I, I always say I'd much rather throw a party than go to a party. So if I have something to do and a task, I, I kind of have my – that's, I mean, I claim my seat because I'm a marijuana addict. I don't know if I said that. LB, marijuana addict. Um, and uh, I immediately, I, I started smoking pot pretty late in life. I hear a lot of your stories, and regardless of the, regardless of the details, I always, you know, everything resonates with me, and I always identify with what I hear from all of my fellows. Um, but I didn't start smoking pot until I was probably 19 or 20. I, I smoked pot for the first time. And I liked it, but I didn't know anybody. How do I get my own pot? I don't know. Uh, and so it was a little later than that I was able to get my own pot. I met a neighbor, and he was like, you want to smoke a bowl? And I didn't know anything. He had to show me how to, like, put my – it was a – uh, pipe with the carb on it, and I, he had to tell me to put my finger over all that stuff. I was just a newbie. But even with that, I smoked every single day right off the bat, right off the bat. My life was more than unmanageable, and I had been banging my head against the wall trying to say, why doesn't my life work? I have lots of reasons that a lot of us share, you know, abuse and trauma and that feeling of being different and that feeling that I've heard from so many people that I had of everyone else seems to know how to live life. Everyone else seems to know how to show up in a room and just be okay. And I don't know. I don't understand. And I, when I smoked pot, I was like, oh, yeah, everything's fine. This is good. I should be this all the time. So at, at first, pot was my solution. You know, pot was the thing that kept me going. And pot probably saved my life. I was in a dark, dark place. And my mind was churning constantly. Why am I so alone? Why am I miserable? Why, no matter what I try, how nice I am, how well I, you know, what I buy from catalogs to make my apartment perfect, all of this stuff, you know, working in, in, in a job that I really loved, that I was good at, and that I was successful at. And 
Sorry, I have to lock a dog in the house. Um, oh, but I'm on the phone, so it doesn't matter. Come here, doggies. And um, nothing I did made it any better. And when I got put, all of that, that loud, constant churning in my head just went away. And it was such a relief. And so pot saved my life. And then pot became my life because I couldn't go a, a day. That's ridiculous. I couldn't go a day, an hour without being high because when I was sober, everything flooded back. And Excuse me. And that, in my experience, doesn't work if you want to be living a life. So all the isolation and depression and self-loathing that the pot alleviated, eventually, because I was only high 24-7, because like a good little addict, I threw every piece of mail and every phone call and every text in the corner because I couldn't deal with it, my life got unmanageable again Um, because all I was focused on was staying high. And that's where I was stuck. And I knew, I go, but pot is the thing that, that makes it okay. That's the thing that makes it okay, that makes me feel okay. But I'm not feeling okay. I'm bankrupt, literally, and and can't make rent. And I'm walking dogs for $25 a day and going and buying a 20-bag of pot. It's just, I've been sober a long time, so there were no shops, so there was no legal weed. There, you know, I had to go meet the guy and, you know, do all that stuff. Um, and I just you know, bottomed out, but I still was not, I was not willing to, to say the weed is the problem. And it's not the weed that's the problem. I heard somebody say once, weed is an inanimate object. It's not the problem. You know, the 12, the 12 steps are notorious for being a bait and switch program because marijuana only appears in the first step and the rest of them are about me. The rest of them are about uncovering, discovering, and discarding what's in me and my thinking and my disease and my life that I am afraid or can't deal with or, you know, whatever the situation is that I thought getting high was the fix for. That is going to fix it. If I don't have to look at it, it's not a problem, but I think a lot of us in this room know that that's not true. So while I was doing that, my problems, my life, my unmanageability were just, you know, forming this tidal wave behind me. And I finally was introduced to marijuana anonymous by a psychiatrist, actually, and I did not want to hear it. But I called uh, the number at the time for District 6. I live in Los Angeles. District 6 is Los Angeles, um, North Los Angeles. And we have a bitter rivalry with South Los Angeles. We actually have a District 6 versus District 7 softball game coming up. So I'm sure there'll be some blood left on the field, but not really. But um, I eventually, with the help of a friend, 
went to my first MA meeting. And I, I was lucky because I'd already been to other 12-step meetings. I'm going to keep an eye on the time because I will talk for freaking ever, and I want to hear from all of you. Um, I had already been to 12-step meetings in other programs, so I was familiar with the language, and I was familiar with the readings, and I was familiar with the whole, you know, the God and the higher power, and I happen to be an atheist, and so that was a real hurdle for me, um, but I was already familiar with all of that stuff from previous experience, so when I went to my first MA meeting, and I heard the speaker, and I heard the shares, it was just like, yes, 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 this is me. I identify. I can't stop smoking weed. I can't. And here I am in this meeting. And I still, I'm not, I'm not recommending this, but I came to probably about six months of meetings. Every week I went to the Monday night and the Thursday night meeting in Los Angeles. And I had commitments, um, and I wasn't sober. You know, there's commitments that I was, you know, I can give out the chips and hugs without being sober. Um, I can, you know, give a literature report. I did the service that I could do. It's like I said, I need to kind of have an anchor to keep me, you know, I'm part of this meeting, especially when I wasn't actually sober and I would just smoke, I would go to the meeting, and then I would not go to fellowship afterwards, not hang out and talk to people. I would go back home. And that's what I did for about six months. And when I finally put down the weed, September 19th, 2005, and I was literally, I mean, I was homeless. I say I was the good kind of homeless because I did go from couch to couch, from you know, floor to floor, mostly people in this meet in this meeting, and this uh, maybe in this meeting, I don't know who's there, but in this fellowship because I'd already been coming around, and I had that support, and I'd had that support, all of those resources, people saying, hey, come on out or come to this meeting or come to fellowship, I'll buy you dinner, and saying no, 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 I, that, you know, I can't because I had to go home and smoke weed. I wasn't done yet, and when I did. You know, for the last time I smoked pot, I woke up on September 20th, and I didn't smoke pot. And I realized smoking pot takes a lot of time, and all this time now, and I couldn't sit with myself, because I couldn't do that. That's why I need to get high. And so I started going to three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine meetings every day, and I would go out to fellowship, and I became part of the group. Um, and that really made all the difference when they, you know, say what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. The biggest difference between what it was like and what it's like now is all of you. I didn't have anyone in my life, the friends, family, whatever, you, you name it, the first genuine relationships I had in my life were with the people in these rooms, were with my fellows in MA. And that was a real, like, a real wake-up call because really in my first year, years, continuing now, after 17 years of sobriety, is I get to know myself. 
you know, I had contorted myself into what other people wanted me to be so I could survive life. And now I'm, you know, a grown-up, you know, at least, <laughs> at least by the number of my age. And um, I'm realizing because you guys, you guys don't want anything from me, you know? You, I love the traditions. The traditions handle every little loophole that my brain and my disease wants me to use to not have to be here to say, oh, you guys, I, I don't like the doctor that's in charge of this program. Well, nobody's in charge of this program, certainly not a doctor. It's, you know, one addict helping another. You know, I can, I can relate to you because we have the same thinking on a lot of stuff and the same feelings. And, you know, anybody that I'm asking for help is someone that has, you know, one more day than me sober. I had two days, somebody with a week was like, how did you do that? And the way that it worked for me was to strike at the bone, keep coming back, you know, keep coming back, being involved, getting my hands dirty with service. And because I did that, because now I have all of you in my life and I have people that I rely on, people that rely on me, people that I love, people that I don't like but I still love, you know, the difference between what it was like and what it's like now is I have something to lose. I mean, that's the negative way to look at it. <laughs> I mean, I have all of those things, which is great, but I have something to lose now. And when things are dark and when there is, that feeling of me going, you know, I can't deal with this. And I know what will let me not deal with this. Just to, you know, I could use, I could do that. What a relief that would be. But with all the tools that you guys have taught me and with all that I've gained through my years of sobriety and recovery, I'm able to take that pause and say, no this momentary I need to escape isn't worth, you know, doesn't even compare to what I could lose if I, if I just, you know, take the quick fix or what I think is a quick fix because it's not even a fix and, and pick up and use. And because I've been around a while, because I kept coming back and one day at a time is a real thing. I hate, the only thing I hate more than all of the cliches of this program is the fact that they're all true. They're all true and it pisses me off, but it's true. One day at a time. Can I get through just today when I'm feeling so vulnerable and so fed up and so shaky? Can I get through today? get to bed tonight sober and then see what happens tomorrow. And I'm able to do that because I kept coming back and because I listened and because I have all of the tools that you guys give me, like picking up the phone to someone I trust and saying, here's where I'm at. And, and 
or even picking up the phone to someone else and saying, tell me about your day. How are you? Get me out of my head. What was I saying? I was saying life is hard, and I use what you guys teach me to get through a hard day. Well, I'll talk a little bit about, I said that I was an atheist, which is a big, it was a big hurdle for me, but mostly because I was not honest about it. I, you know, here in these meetings, and I hear all the readings, and it's, you know, there's a lot of God, and of course, there's a lot of higher power, God, as you understand God. But still, there's this, uh, this block, this not really, this, you know, a lot of, and this is not everybody, and this has to do with the literature and the AA literature as well, which we use a lot of. There's, there was this kind of, uh, you know, well, I know you think that, and we'll just love you until you get it right. You know, pray to, said these are cliches that I do not like. Uh, people have told me, pray to good until one of the O's drops out. And it was, it was really difficult hearing those things and also hearing people that, you know, with their higher powers, with their, with their faith and, and reading the literature and saying, well, I can't, I can't say what is my truth because that's going to offend someone or that's going to, you know, or they'll say, oh, well, you can't do that. You know, there's room for everyone here except for you if that's your deal. And that's certainly not true. And I just hit a wall when I was probably six, you know, because I've, I've had sponsors. I didn't, you know, I, get it. I didn't say that at all. I take commitments, go to meetings, find a sponsor, um, and, you know, work the steps. The steps are the program, again, the bait and switch. The first one that says, uh, you know, I'm powerless over marijuana. My life has become unmanageable. You know, check plus. I, I said that one. And then the rest of them are, you know, especially the first few about your higher power and God. And so I would not be honest with my sponsors at first and, and say, you know, here's where I'm at. How do I work this program? as an atheist, and so I would just grit my teeth, and my sponsor would say to me, you know, well, where's God in this? Did you get down on your knees and pray? And I would just go, no, I haven't done that. I'll do that tonight. And, you know, my sponsor, a sponsor is just someone who has worked the step. I mean, on a good day, your sponsor is someone who's worked all the steps and is taking you through them. But, you know, your sponsor could be someone who's just on the step before, you know, the step after you. But I wasn't honest, and I was resentful. You know, I'm resentful of people that don't even know what I'm resentful of because I haven't been honest with them. And I like to say, I think I had about six or seven years when I came out of the closet as an atheist. And guess what? It's all good. Whether you believe in a deity or the doorknob or you know, nothing or the universe, whatever it is, you're here and your seat is claimed, you know. You, the third tradition is the most important, I think, bit of, bit of anything in any of these programs, you know. The only requirement for membership is a desire 
to stop using marijuana. And tradition three is like my stronghold because, you know, you've already heard part of my story. If tradition three was the only requirement for membership is to be sober, I wouldn't be here because I wasn't sober when I first came to you guys, you know. And that's, I've earned my seat here. I've earned my seat. I earned my seat 24 hours a day the whole time I smoke. But, um, you know, so I, I, I was honest with the sponsor, this woman that I'd known for, for the whole time I'd been in program. She had double-digit sobriety in a couple programs, but in MA, she's, a, she's like a, she's the best. She lives in um, Los Angeles South, so we're still softball rivals. But she just said, yeah, let's go, you know. And she, she said to me, call this, call this man who I, I also happened to know him for years. I loved him too. She said, he's an atheist. He had more sobriety than her even. So I call this man and ask him how he works his program as an atheist. And I did. And he said, I do the very best I can. And I hope for the very best outcome. And I said, that sounds like my mantra. My little personal mantra is, do your job and be a good guy. If everyone did their job and was a good guy, everything would be pretty, you know, pretty copacetic. And so we took that on as my, as we call it my philosophy, my higher power, my philosophy. At any point, what is my job? My job is to show up to this meeting. My job is to do the dishes so that every time I walk in the, kitchen, I'm not feeling, you know, like a failure. My job is to wake up on time to get to work. My job is to be of service. You know, whatever it is in the day, however mundane or important, I'm there to do the next thing in front of me, to take the next step in front of me so that my day is it's not something I regret, you know, and that my behavior is not something I'm ashamed of. And it's, this is a very dire way to put it. Like, I'm not going through every day going, I don't want to be ashamed of. But, you know, what's my job? And I realized, when I'm having a spell, you know, when I, what times when I've gone, God, I feel like a mess. Say, I have not thought about what's my job in a long time. I have not sat up and said, okay, what's your job right now? What step are you to take? Not a, not a 12 step, but just, you know, step the next action to keep myself going so that my side of, again, my side of the street is very important. Another, another little, that's kind of like a tool slash motto, you know, so that my side of the street is clean, that I feel good about the things I've done or, or even at the very least how I've tried and what I've been willing to do to live the best life I can live. And that keeps my side of the street clean so that I'm available to help someone else. Whether it's in program, whether it's my dad, you know, I take care of my dad who's 78, he's having surgery on Tuesday. I need to be 
you know, I need to be up for that. I need to be there and be his medical advocate and, and keep, I, you know, I try, I'm a good medical advocate because I try to keep things light. Whenever I leave him from post-op, the last thing I say to everybody is, that's fun. And, um, you know, those are all things that I either can't do or that I do a bad job of or that are such a struggle. If I am mired down in my own self-will or self-loathing or shame or any of these things that I experience, when I'm not using the tools of this program to help me stay on track, to help me remember, what's my job? What's my job? If I'm stuck, I say, well, what's my job? What's the next right action? And that can be enough, just a slight change. Even if it's like, you know what I need to do? I need to put on shoes. So I'm supposed to be somewhere in an hour, and if I put on shoes, I'm halfway there. And then I put on the rest of my clothes. If I'm being polite to society. But um, when I realized those times of saying, I haven't thought about what's my job, I realized what people have meant when they say, I was disconnected from my higher power. When they say, I lost contact with God, or however anybody puts it, you know, which is a zillion different ways across a zillion different addicts across the universe. I'm sure there's some aliens somewhere having a 12-step meeting. And that was really, really helpful. But the, the crux of all of that, all of that availability to the tools to, to help, to guidance, to direction, started with me being honest about being an atheist, being honest about something I was afraid to be honest about. And that is, and that's remarkable when I, when I look back and I see, you know, I was keeping myself stuck. I was not taking my, I was not, I was hiding. And I was hiding because I thought that's what other people needed from me or because I thought that's what other people would accept from me. And, and that's just not true. So if anybody is struggling with, you know, the God stuff and the higher power and is this a cult and is this, you know, all that kind of stuff, there really is room for everybody. But I just had not made, I had not made room for myself. And so that made a, a really big difference in the trajectory of my, of my recovery, specifically my recovery. Sobriety and recovery are two different things. They are two, two, two different things in my, my experience. Because I've met, I'm trying really hard not to swear because this is being recorded. I usually have a filthy mouth. So I will use the word jerk. Um, I don't care how many times somebody has worked the steps or how much they can quote every bit of literature. If you're a jerk, if you're not 12-step practicing these principles in all your affairs, I, I'm not interested. I'm not interested in, in someone who 
who lectures. I'm not interested in somebody who, you know, who isn't using these principles in all their affairs. And, and that's the really important part for me of, you know, this isn't a, you know, you don't, you don't win a prize when you hit 10 years and you don't become a saint when you hit 20 and you don't know everything. You know, we're all just addicts. And one day at a time, I work with your help and your, you know, everything I've learned from you to get to bed tonight sober. And it's not, again, it's not that stark every single day because sometimes I'm just living my life and things are fine. And, but when it is tough, I have that just base, you know, that base little set of rules. Then I get to bed tonight sober. What can I do to do that? Get on this meeting, call my sponsor, read the literature, call a fellow, whatever it is, go to fellowship, you know, and and it's just a lot of one days at a time. Um, when I was new, a big thing was that I did not go where I knew there would be pot. You know, I had, I, you, don't, you, don't, you don't have to, um, you know, cut everyone out of your life who still uses weed. Because some people think that. I happen to go, you know, oh, my God, I don't really have any friends. These are people I smoke weed with. I don't know, you know, I couldn't rely on them for anything. I couldn't, you know, it's just, that was my experience. But I still had, you know, friends and we'd go and go to karaoke and this and that, whatever. But I knew if there was pot in front of me, I was going to smoke it because that's all I knew. And so early in my, in my recovery, in my sobriety, I just, I did not go places where I knew that there would be pot. You know, I stuck with you guys because I knew there'd be, nope, you know, ideally, I've never run into pot at a meeting. So that's, it's a pretty safe bet. Um, but early on, I did have to do that. Now, I, I mean, now there's weed everywhere. And, um, you know, it's okay. And I still like the smell. I have friends in this program who are like, oh, it smells awful. And I'm like, mm, I don't know. It still smells pretty good to me. I think I should keep at this one day at a time because I'm not recoiling from that. But, um, you know, it was really important to me. I had at least that, that enough perspective to know that I'm a marijuana addict. I'm a marijuana addict. And people, you know, as the day is long, people will say, you know, marijuana is not addicting. And like I said, marijuana is an inanimate object. You know, and, and we know what's true for us and what's true for, you know, what I think of whatever. But I was addicted to checking out. I was addicted to checking out of life because I could not handle it. And weed was the thing that let me do that best. Out of all the things I tried, it was the best at keeping me away from reality. And the reality is life. So the more I smoked, the deeper I got in, the more I isolated myself, the more I just made sure I had weed and didn't have to leave the house, didn't have to open the window, and didn't have to call anyone or answer the phone, 
you know, keeping away from reality is is not a life. Um, and that's what hit me. And and the fact that life was still in session and people said, oh, by the way, you need to pay your bill. You need to pay your rent. You need to, you know, pay this, this well, all this stuff. You know, unfortunately, a lot of it has to do with money. But, you know, and nobody was knocking on my door saying, hey, I know you're isolated and smoking weed all day and doing nothing, but come work for us. None of that happened. My reality, such as it was, was being in my apartment isolated with a Oh my God! I'm get, you're, you're all gonna know. I'm 46 years. I'm almost 47 years old. So, if you don't know what a disc man is, <laughs> but you know, a little personal CD player before streaming, before MP3s, you know. And I would smoke weed in my apartment. I would pace around. I'd listen to one song over and over and over again. You know, just blaring in my ears with headphones. That was my reality. That was my life. That was all the life I would allow myself because I was scared and I was hurt and I was confused and I didn't know what to do. And that's not a life. That's actually, I think of myself in those moments back there as though I was like, if, if you were a, you know, at, a, at some experiment and there were doctors watching me from behind a two-way mirror going, oh, that girl's crazy and to go from from there to say okay I put down the pot I have these these resources of the program and the literature and the steps and I have this gift of all of you who are in this with me to to lean on to ask questions to 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 tell something I'm so ashamed of, embarrassed about, and you go, oh, my God, I did that twice as hard. Let me tell you my story. You know, and between, you know, between that, between the program and the resources and all of you, I have stayed sober one day at a time for just a little over 17 years, which is, which is crazy. That's what I was saying when, <laughs> when I hung up on you, you know. It seems like yesterday that, you know, I'm telling you this story and the, the, the darkness and the, the tiny, tiny life I had when weed was my higher power, when my philosophy was get high and try to be a good guy. You know, that seems like yesterday. It, it, 17 years, I guess, is a long enough time. But it doesn't seem that long ago, and 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 that's why I you know care to hear as much from somebody with a day or a week or ninety days or whatever, and and remember what it's like to grow up in this program, and if I you know can help someone with my experience, then that's that's so groovy. Because it's nice to have it's 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 nice to have hard things that I've overcome that can help someone else. The same way it's amazing to have a problem and someone else says, Oh, I know. I, I went through that. Let me tell you what I did. And that's happened to me hundreds of times. 
from everything from breaking up with a boyfriend to having a fight with a friend to going bankrupt to being in trouble with the IRS to, you know, anything is that we're all, we're all sober, you know, we're, well, I mean, we're not, whether you're sober or not, we're all in this program and we've been, those of us, you know, we've been sober and because we've gotten sober, our lives have gotten bigger, you know, and because my life has gotten bigger, I have more to share. And that's what I've tried to do today. So I hope that uh, you got something out of this. And if not, please go to other, other meetings. And thank you so much for letting me share.